Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. Am I on, Bob? Okay, I'm sorry. We had a bathroom break with little Charlie, and I turned it off just in case. And uh, always a good lesson when you're the preacher and going into the bathroom, turn the mic off. Just save everybody a lot of fun, okay? John, chapter 5. And we're going to read just the first nine verses, and then uh, one more, verse 14. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withering, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmary, thirty and eight, infirmity, thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And in verse 14, afterward, Jesus findeth him the same man in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the lessons we can learn from your word. Lord, there's lots that we could uh, examine from this passage, from this story, and lots of things we could talk about uh, geographically and historically and culturally and all those things. But God, I pray that right now we'll just draw near to the practical application of this message and help us to see the lessons uh, for our own personal lives that we might gain and, Lord, that we might live differently. In Christ's name I pray, amen. How many of y'all like to spend time next to the pool? I figure my kids would be like, oh, me, 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 okay. Y'all like to spend time by the pool, or you used to like to spend time by the pool. Uh, In this passage, we're introduced to a man who spent a lot of time by the pool, Well, it wasn't quite the way we imagined spending time by the pool. In fact, we're not even given this guy's name. The only thing that he is named for us is what? The what? The impotent man. This is the impotent man by the pool of Bethesda, waiting for some miracle to heal his body and that his life could be changed. I think the question that the Lord comes to him, though, and asks It's a pretty powerful question when you consider it. Wilt thou be made whole? It's a pretty good question for you and me. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be free from whatever ails you, whatever holds you back, whatever hinders you? I mean, we all have things in our life that hold us back. We all have things in our life that uh, might trip us up, might be a besetting sin, it might be a, a, a physical infirmity. And the question is, do you want to be whole? Yeah, me too. 
I think there's some lessons we can learn about Jesus because ultimately he's the one that can make you whole. The first thing is where Jesus goes. The first thing I, I think the lesson is that we see where Jesus goes. He goes, it says in, in, in the first uh, verse that he goes up to Jerusalem. And then in the next two verses, it tells us exactly where he went. I mean, you can learn a lot of things about where Jesus goes if you, if you read Scripture. Uh, think about it. When he, he went to the well in Samaria to witness to that lost woman. He, he went to Zacchaeus' house to uh, change this crooked man's life. He went to the temple to run out those who were abusing God's house. He went to the tomb of Lazarus to raise him from the dead. So what I, I see as far as where Jesus goes, Jesus goes to where there's people who have need. Amen. You know, the, the setting of this particular story is that pool of Bethesda. And, and you, you, described, uh, you, you saw it described for, uh, for us in the text. Uh, it was probably a pool that had been constructed around a natural spring. And for some reason, either superstition or otherwise, the pool was thought to have some kind of miraculous healing properties. And uh, verse 3, it says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem on this trip, he did not first go to the temple where he could rub shoulders with the religious elite. He didn't go to the Herod's palace where he could meet with the king. He didn't even go to the Roman governor's house in order to get in good with the people in power and the local uh, politicians. No, he went to the place where people had a need. He went to those who had need. He went to those whose difficulties were, whose life, lives were difficult and whose hearts were broken. And I, I think that ought to speak to how we should seek the Lord. We need to realize that we have a need. We need to be, we need to realize that, that if, if we'll express our need to the Lord, he'll come to us. Uh, Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Or Matthew 9.12, he said to the Pharisees, that they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Uh, that should speak to how we should recognize our own needs before the Lord, but also it's a good example of for how we should love others in our community. So Jesus goes to people in need. Also, I see that Jesus goes to people who, have, who couldn't help themselves. I mean, how are these people described? What would this man's title in our passage? Impotent. Anybody want to give another uh, adjective for impotent or another uh, powerless? Yes. What else? Infirm, yes. Without, how about without strength? An in, they have an inability to help themselves. He, Jesus came to minister to those who could not help themselves. And in reality, that's you and me. We can't help ourselves. We, we like to think that we can. We like to depend on all these resources we have, all of our experience, all of the, all of the, uh, you know, the, the resources of Google and Amazon. We like to depend on things like that. But in reality, our, in our spiritual condition, we are handicapped and we're incapable, helpless to solve our own problem. As sinners, we can't get to God on our own. We're crippled. We're hampered by our sin nature. Yet when God invaded history in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to us when we could not come to him. So I see where 
where Jesus goes, I also, I think it's important for us to see what Jesus wants to know. If we look back at the text in verse 5, it says, And there a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? So among all the sick and all the lame uh, people littering beside the, the pool, uh, uh, gathered around the pool, one man in particular caught the Lord's eye. And looking at him, seeing the pain and knowing that he'd suffered for a long time, Jesus asked him that question, wilt thou be made whole? And you know, to, to some people, it might seem like kind of a stupid question because obviously the answer is, well, yeah, I want to be made whole. I asked this question to you guys just a little bit ago and everybody was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. I want to be made whole. Uh, but there's some things that come with this question. Jesus understood that. The first thing was, is the question was for this man, was, was he ready for a change? Was this guy prepared for some change in his life? I mean, it might be obvious that this guy wanted to be healed. I mean, he, he'd been lame for 38 years, stuck by this pool for 38 years. Uh, obviously, he must really desire change. But in reality, a lot of people, a lot of us, we kind of put up with a difficulty in our life, a besetting sin or a physical ailment, a sort of circumstances that hold us back, and we kind of get used to it enough that we decide, no, nah, I can just live with this. I can just deal, I can just put up with this. Because the change might, we may not be ready for that. Some of us are comfortable with our hang-ups. Jesus, you notice though, Jesus gave this man an opportunity to deny him. Jesus won't force himself upon you. He won't force his help on anyone. If you're not ready for change, he won't help you. Jesus wondered whether this man was ready for change. And the next thing I think he wanted to know was, would he respond to the command? If you look at the text in verse 7, the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool while I am coming Another steppeth down before me. And then in verse 8, it says, Jesus saith in him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Jesus commanded to do this man to do what he had been enabled to do for 38 years. When Jesus asked this guy, Would you, Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? He was not only questioning the man's readiness to change, but his willingness to comply to, to, to Jesus' will. Would this man obey the command on his life? Would he, would he believe that Jesus could heal him and just go for it? Or would he say, you're nuts, man. Get out of here. I can't do that. What about you? Are you willing to obey Christ's command in order to be made whole? Listen, that might mean some personal change in how you see uh, your priorities. It might mean some personal change in how you deal with sin in your life. You know, if a doctor says to a patient, here's the, here's the medication that will completely cure your disease, though that patient might have the cure, they still have to take the medicine. Some may never be whole and never experience a healthy Christian life because they will not obey the commands of Christ. We're to obey His commands. And then the last thing I notice about this is, is why Jesus 
works in our life. Verse 9, it says, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. So Jesus came to this helpless man. He, he asked the question that awakened this guy's uh, faith, the idea that he could be made whole. And then he performed this miracle, healing the man's body. But why did Jesus heal this man? Why? Why does the Lord work in the lives of works in our work in our lives? Why does he do that? Well, I think it's pretty clear from verse 14. It, it tells us. Jesus said to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Afterward, Jesus find him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon come unto thee. I think the first thing we see there is that we'll praise the Lord. When Jesus found him the next after that, after the guy had taken up his bed, healed, whole, where did he find him? He found him in the temple. Why do you think this guy didn't go home first to his mom and dad? Why did he go see his brother that he hadn't been able to visit in his own house for 38 years? Why didn't he go uh, see that long lost love that, that the relationship fell apart because she just couldn't keep up with taking care of? Why didn't he go somewhere else? Where did he go? He went to the Lord's house. Why? To praise the Lord. I mean, clearly this man wanted to give thanks, to glorify God for the miracle that had occurred in his life. Jesus had healed him and he wanted to give God praise. The Lord Jesus does something in your life, works a miracle on your behalf. And let me tell you, when we overcome sin, that's a miracle. Because you can't do it on your own. When, when, when the Lord heals us, that's a miracle. When you wake up in the morning and you've got breath in your lungs, let me tell you, I think that's a bit of a miracle. <laughs> we ought to praise Him. When is the last time we thanked God for what He's done for us? Like we should thank Him. I believe many people would like to see God work more in their lives and, and do more for them. And he might would do more for them. Were they willing to give more praise? I think Jesus works in our lives so that we'll praise God. But also you'll see uh, in what his instructions to this, this impotent man, no longer impotent, now uh, healed. I think it's, he does this so that we might live differently. So that we might live a holy life. Jesus found this man in the temple in verse 14. Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Jesus healed the man to change not just his physical, his physical life, but to change his spiritual life completely. I, I love that Jesus says, thou art made whole. He didn't say, uh, you can now walk. He didn't say, uh, uh, your body is made whole. Jesus healed this man completely. I think maybe one of the reasons why Christ has yet to work in our life is that maybe we're not willing to repent of our sins and depend on Him. Too many Christians, especially young Christians, and I wish there were more here this afternoon, want a Christianity that demands very little of them allows us to live in any manner that we might please. The Lord does not work in our lives just so that we can continue on the path we've been living and traveling on. He works in us to change how we live. Vance Havner, 
I'm almost done. I'd like to leave you a quote from Vance Havner. He once said, God saved us to make us holy, not happy. You may not like the way that sounds, but keep listening. Some experiences may not contribute to your happiness, but all can be made to contribute to our holiness. Has the work of the Lord in your life produced holiness and godliness? Has it changed the way you lived? If it hasn't, perhaps that is why he's not done anything else in your life. Now, I'm not saying there's some kind of special formula you need to live so that you can get God to do what you want him to do, but we certainly deserve, we, he certainly deserves our, uh, our attention and our care and our importance on living for him. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, all of us here have something that we need you to do. In reality, all of us here are impotent against sin, against uh, the difficulties of our life. And Lord, I think it's important for us to recognize that you're not some genie in the lamp that, you know, if we get our ducks in a row, that you're going to grant all our wishes. But Lord, if we will live for you, you will make us whole maybe in a way that we have never imagined. Lord, that if we'll live for you, if we'll give our life to you and put our faith and trust in you, you can really change our circumstances. You can help us to overcome besetting sins. You can help us to overcome all kinds of things. And Lord, I pray that maybe if there's one here that, that needs you, to do something and understands that they're impotent to do it on their own. But I pray that they'll seek you first. They'll trust you. And if, and as you instruct them in their life through your word and through the Holy Spirit, help them to trust you enough to follow your commands. And Lord, help us to praise you. Help us to live a life of praise to you. Lord, help that life of praise to equal some holiness in our life, to some change in how we live. Lord, that can be worship just as as, as much as uh, uh, giving or, or praying or any of these other things. Lord, we're to live a life of worship. So Lord, help us to do it. And I pray you just help our church to, uh, to be the church you'd have us to be. Help us to, to, to look the way you'd have us to look. Help us to serve the way you'd have us to serve. Help us to reach into this community the way you'd have us to reach in this community. Lead us. Lead me, Lord, and help me to be a good leader. Help me to be submitted to you. Lord, help us to follow you. We love you and we trust you in Christ's name. Amen.